So we are in the second week of this series where we're looking at the book of Daniel. Um, Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, let me give you a couple of tools that I think will help you. Um, And it's a reminder to any of us who might have been here last week. Uh, If you get the newsletter, there is a reading plan. What I'm encouraging each and every person to do is to read the book of Daniel over the next uh, month. And so if you will pick up a newsletter, if you did not get a copy... They're on the table out in the lobby, and there's also one in the gathering space where you can pick up the reading plan that we're going to be doing. The fact that we've already read three chapters is not the end of the world because you can catch up. Take you about 15 minutes to to read what we've already read. So we're just reading small segments each and every day. But the hope is that over the next month, we all read the book together. And my plan is to do series like this every couple of or two times a year so that we actually read the Bible together and we actually begin to learn how to read and study the Bible in the hopes that, I'll be honest, the hopes that spurs you to actually fall in love with reading the Bible uh, and learning that there, there is relevance and power today to God's Word. And so that's one tool to help you. Uh, if you weren't here, or even if you just don't remember the sermon last week, uh, you can go online each and every week and hear the sermon. Excuse me. So every week the sermons are posted on Monday. So if you miss a week, then you're able to go back and listen. So today we're going to be looking at Daniel in chapter 2. If you want to go back and, and hear the message about Daniel in chapter 1, you can go back and do that. Now, that's not to encourage you to stay home. Uh, that's just simply to encourage you that if you happen to miss a week, you can always go back and listen to the messages. And they're there, so uh, you can go back and listen to any that just seem to be particularly powerful uh, to you. So, so remind you where we are. Daniel... If you'll remember in, in chapter 1, Daniel uh, grew up, he lived in, in, in Israel's history in a period where King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the leader of Babylon, uh, came in and, and had a military strategy to uh, wipe out Israel, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. And his military strategy was to kidnap 10,000 of the best and the brightest of the young men, and what my word is, Babylonize. I'm not really sure that's a word, but that's my word for it, is he was going to Babylonize them, um, which was to teach them the Babylonian culture. So they would understand literature and astrology and, and history of, of Babylon and, and wipe out their identity as the Jewish people. And so this was his strategy to do that. And Daniel and his three friends went through this process Now, the beautiful thing that you watch as you see Daniel unfold is throughout this process, Daniel and his friends never forgot who they were. They never forgot whose they were. King Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was to try to help them forget the one true God, but they did not forget the one true God. They stayed loyal to the one true God. And God showed them favor. If you, if you remember at the end of chapter one, it tells us that throughout this process that Daniel and his friends were 10 times greater, 10 times stronger, 10 times better than anybody else. So when they took 10,000 of the wisest young men, Daniel and his friends were the wisest of the wise. And throughout his life, and what you can see as you read Daniel, is he was, he was very humble. He maintained his humility. He, he looked at what his battles were going to be, and he, he chose his battles carefully. But he always maintained a, an expectation of hope. And what I told you was that he looked at life through the promises of God rather than through the evil of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And so that gets us to the end of chapter 1, and so we come to Daniel chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 2. If they're on your phones, get to that place, and we will look at that passage in just a minute. And as you're getting there, I'll just ask you this question. Have you ever been a victim of a bad dream? Now, I'll say that carefully. I'm not asking you if you've ever had a bad dream, because probably everybody has had a bad dream. Have you ever been a victim of a bad dream? Now, I'll tell you, this doesn't happen very often, but one, one thing I'll tell you about my wife. She's not here, so I can tell you this. Um, she's not a morning person, and I am irritatingly positive in the morning. So she's not a morning person. I love the mornings, and so I can irritate her very easily uh, in the mornings. But every once in a while, it has happened in our marriage that she has gotten up, and I knew not to irritate her. Um, and one morning in particular, I remember she got up and when she came out of the bedroom door, I knew that I was in trouble. And what she told me was that I had married someone else in her dream. I had married someone else in front of her while we were married. Now y'all, I do enough stupid things in real life to make her mad that I don't need to do it in make believe. Um, But it's a very helpless position to be in, right? When you're the victim of a bad dream. Well, I tell you that because what we're fixing to read in Daniel chapter 2 is the wise men around Nebuchadnezzar, the closest circle, the the, the loyal people, the people he's seeking counsel from, they are the victim of a bad dream. They are in that very helpless situation. So let's start reading in verse 1, Daniel chapter 2. It says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So the king's not asking them to interpret the dream. Do you recognize that? The king's not asking them to interpret the dream. The king's asking them to tell him what the dream was. So he's not saying, tell me what the dream is. And and here's the thing you have to stop and ask yourself. Does he not remember the dream? Well, of course he remembers the dream because he's very troubled by the dream. He wants an answer for the dream. So basically what he's trying to say to these astrologers are that I, I need to know that I can trust you. And the way that I know that I can trust you is you're going to tell me what it is that I dreamed. Otherwise, you're just going to go look at those books that they have that tell you what the dreams mean, right? So, I mean, you know, the Babylonian books that say, okay, if you, if you dream you're falling, this is what it means. Or if you dream uh, the, that you wake up and you were, missed your final exam, that it, it, it means this. If you're in a large room naked, this is what it means that you have to do. All of these dreams have different reasons. You're just going to go look at this, and I'm not, I, I don't have time for your psychobabble. I need to know that you actually have an answer for me. So I'm going to get you to tell me what the dream is, 
Then give me the interpretation. And if you don't, I'm going to cut you into pieces. So there's no pressure to this either, right? So this is kind of where we find ourselves. So we come to verse 7. Look at what it says. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among the humans. Now, I love this realization on behalf of the wise men that they don't have inside of them what it's going to take to be able to accomplish the task. And they get it half right. They say, okay, this is, this is going to take God. But they go wrong because they realize they, they make statement that, that God is not among humans, that God is not present. So they kind of get it half right. They recognize that this is something beyond their human ability, but they get it wrong in the fact that God is not present and working. And so we come to verses 12 and 12, 13. It says, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now we don't know where Daniel and his friends were. The Bible doesn't tell us. All the Bible tells us is that they weren't right there when the king issued the decree. And what we do know from chapter 1 is that that Daniel and his friends were the wisest of the wise. And so they certainly were part of this decree that the king had issued that they would put him to death. And so, so Daniel is sitting there going through his day and he gets this knock on the door. And it's pretty bad news. And I tell you that because that's how life happens, right? Everything's going great. It's a good day. You're enjoying the sunshine. And then there's a knock on the door or a phone call or an email or in today's world, maybe a text. What I want to challenge you as we watch Daniel, how do you respond? How do you respond when the world turns upside down? How do you respond? How do you respond when your employer tells you that we appreciate your service, but you're no longer needed? And you got to go home and tell your family or your children How do you respond when the doctor says there's really probably not anything else that we can do? How do you respond when the police show up at your door and your kids aren't home or your grandkids aren't home? How do you respond? This is the moment that your faith becomes real. Folks, as your pastor, I'm telling you, it's it's easy to be people of faith in this room. It's easy when everything is going good. But how do you respond when faith becomes real? This is the moment where you realize what you really, 
truly rely upon. I can tell you, I know almost to the day that I went into ministry, uh, 13 years, because I was at licensed to preach school in the United Methodist Church. I was at licensed to preach school when Claire went into labor early with Lydia. So if anybody ever asked me where, how long I've been in ministry, I just have to remember how old Lydia is, and it tells me how, how long I've been in ministry. But I will share with you that probably the last two years have been the hardest in ministry. But I have learned more about God in those two years than the previous 11 or the prior going to ministry. I shared with you a few weeks ago that two years ago, Claire's dad passed away very unexpectedly, very traumatically. Shortly after he passed away, Claire's mother fell and uh, had to go into intensive care. And so Claire had to go and in the midst of grieving, her dad had to be with her mom uh, in intensive care, and uh, things were fairly bleak um, with her mother. Well, while Claire was by her mother in her bedside, um, Claire's best friend, my best friend's wife, had a massive stroke and was placed on life support. Claire had to leave her mother in intensive care and drive up to where I was with her friend to take her off life support. And then she had to leave after her friend passed away and drive back to her mother in intensive care. Every week I went to church as a preacher and it felt like I was crisis after crisis. But I learned more about relying upon the strength of God in that short period of time than I ever had as a minister of God prior to that or as a person of God. It's in those moments where you really learn what you're relying on. This is where Daniel's at. There is a knock at his door and they are going to execute him. Because he's the wisest of the wise. How do you respond? See, that's what I want you to think about as we're watching Daniel. How did he respond? How did he respond emotionally? How did he respond spiritually? To give us guidance in how we respond in this life. Look at verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Notice those two words, wisdom and tact. What's wisdom? Basically, wisdom is doing the right thing. The, the dictionary defines it as knowing what's right and true and then having an action that accomplishes it. Is that how you respond with wisdom? And then what's tact? Well, basically, tact is doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. The dictionary defines tact as a keen sense of what's appropriate. Is that how you respond? Wisdom and tact? In the story, look at verse 15. In the story, Daniel's response is this. It says, he asked the king's officer... Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So he asked a very reasonable question, but then Daniel does something that many of us in the church forget to do. He listened. He listened while they explained the matter to him. James tells us that as followers of Christ, 
what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak. How do you respond? Many of us, we are really quick to speak and very slow to listen. Daniel listens. And then when he understands what's going on, look at verse 16. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. I want you to think about that. Think about the picture. King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the, the, the power, most powerful man on earth probably at this time. Some scholars would argue that he is one of the top 20 most powerful men ever. And he's seated on the throne. There are lions on either side of him. And here's Daniel, one of the wise men who has issued a decree to kill, walks before the king. Do you get the picture? Can you imagine the emotions of Daniel? I don't know the conversation of how it goes out, but I'm sure the king's probably sitting there looking at Daniel going, yeah, you were, you were bright in one time in your day. And Daniel says to the king, well, just give me some time and I'll figure out your dream. The king agrees there's something about Daniel's composure. There's something about Daniel's confidence. There's something about, you got to think about it. He didn't want to kill the 10,000 people. What did he want? He wanted an answer for the dream. And so he gives Daniel time. And then we saw it last week and it's continued through this theme. Is Daniel responds in a way that many of us do not. He, he responds with wisdom and tact. When things go on in your life, how many times is that what you pray for? God, give me wisdom and tact. Give me the, the right thing to say at the right moment. How do you respond when you get the knock on the door? How do you respond when people talk to you? Let me tell you something. And this may, Venting on Facebook is not the response that we are called as Christians to do. I, 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 I can't, I love social media and I hate social media. It's a love-hate relationship. Let me tell you that if you are not able to control what you post on social media, please delete social media from your life. That's not, pray for wisdom and tact, for God to give you the right thing to say at the right time in the right way. That's what we see Daniel do. How do you respond? Folks, this is not something that we can conjure up inside of us. This is not something that we can will into our own being. This is something that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is able to give you grace and strength and mercy and wisdom and tact so that you're able to do the right thing, say the right thing at the right time in the right way. Do you pray for it? Do you call upon the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? It's the key to wisdom and tact. So he responds. He responds with wisdom and tact. It's his emotional response. And then this leads to his spiritual response, which I've kind of alluded to as I've gone through this. His answer is prayer. He goes to prayer. Look at verse 17. Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which we understand is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Even though he's a young person, he's very spiritually mature. When, when the heat is on, the guards are knocking on the door, the decree has been issued to kill the wise men. He calls a prayer meeting. He says, let's pray. 
We see that Daniel recognizes that he, he can't do this on his own. This is not something that he can accomplish. He doesn't have the resources within himself. He can't make this up. Why can't he make it up? Because the king knows the dream. He can't just wing it because the king knows what the dream is. This is something that's got to come bigger than him. And so he asked God to speak into his life. And it causes me to ask, why are we so slow to pray? And I mean, this is where we got to be gut check honest with each other. Why are we so slow to pray? Let me tell you something that I have heard after coming to, the, to Stockbridge for just a few weeks. People come up to me, and if you're one of them, you know that it, we need to do something about the finances of the church. My question for you is, do you pray? Do you pray for the finances of this church? Because here's what I know as a pastor. I can't make anybody give. Do you pray for the finances of the church? Not so that we just have more money, but so that we become generous like God is generous. That we reach more people, that we that we're able to, to, to grow ministries. Why are we so slow to be in prayer? We look around the room this morning and there's seats, there's in, in the pews. Why are we so slow to pray for people to be moved, literally moved to be here? They don't even know. I, 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 I have had people come up to my, me at church before and go, I was planning on going to a different church, and, 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 but I'm here. When's the last time you sat before God and prayed for the pews, the empty spaces in these chairs? Not, not so that we just have more people that we can report to the United Methodist Church. I don't care about that. It's those so lives are changed and lives are transformed. Why are we so slow to pray? When there are things that we cannot accomplish on our own, it takes God. I hear excuses all the time. Well, God's just too, too busy. God's got so many other things that he needs. to. It's probably not going to do any good. Folks, we forget something. It is God who initiated this relationship. It is God who created us. Matthew uh, I think it's Matthew 7, that Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. And we love that passage. Okay, this, God's going to give me everything I want. Misinterpretation of that. But, but, but think about this, though. The passage goes on. He says, look, how many of you, if your child asked for a piece of bread, would give him a stone? Or if they asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? And if you have children, if you have grandchildren, you know, I, I would do anything to give my kids what they need. Not necessarily what they want, but what they need. But he goes on to say, if you, meaning us, if you, though are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you? We forget that he has initiated. Daniel understood this. Daniel knew that there was one God who loved him. And so his reaction, his spiritual reaction was to pray. Why are we so slow? 
I will tell you, when Lathan was six years old, we went on a family trip to Disney World. Um, we got down there our very first day, and we spent the entire day at the, ball, at the park. Um, we got to the parade. Now, at that time, we, we only had Latham, and if you know any of our story, we, we weren't even supposed to have children, and so we only had one, and so he pretty much got everything he wanted and needed. Um, and so he, he wanted, for the parade, he wanted one of those big sucker lollipops, and so I can remember sitting there that night, he was eating that sucker lollipop, and I'm thinking, I probably should not at 10 o'clock at night, after everything else you have eaten, give you the sucker lollipop, but course you can have it so we sat there for the parade and we did that and we went back to the hotel room we got ready we got ready for bed we went to sleep and ready for the next day where we were going to get up and do it all over again it was about two o'clock it wasn't a knock on the door literally but it was a scream of a child we got up we turned the lights on and we knew something was terribly wrong. We didn't know where to go. We were in a foreign city. So I finally figured out a way to get us to the hospital. And we rushed him to the emergency room. We get into the emergency room. The doctors quickly knew what it was that he had a severely sick appendix to the point of rupturing. We were blessed. Sounds crazy. But we were blessed that there was another young man in the bed next to us that had had a ruptured appendix. And so there was a surgeon literally walking in the door. So the surgeon ran in to look at Latham, made his evaluation, and then left, never saying a word to us. Finally, the phone rang. I answered the phone. Claire had gone to the restroom, and the doctor told me that they were not sure that Latham would survive the surgery. I never told Claire that phone call until years later. We went out into the waiting room. We sat on the sofa for hours waiting. And I remember going to the bathroom. I could describe this day to you, but I remember going to the bathroom and going into a stall and just crying. Just crying. Not really even knowing what to pray to God, but praying. I got no answer. I got no assurances from God. I got no wisdom. I got no clarity. So I went back to the waiting room and sat with my wife. And we sat there for several more hours. Something caught my eye. I don't really can't tell you what it was that caught my eye, but something caught my eye. And I looked at the picture behind us. We've been sitting there for four hours. And the picture behind us was a boat. And the only words on the screen, be still and know I'm God. I knew in that moment, not that my son was going to be okay. I never got that. What I knew in that moment was that my God was with me. And that my God was with my son. Why are we so slow to pray? 
what happens in Daniel's story is that God speaks into Daniel. Listen, if we continue to read in Daniel 2, it says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I want you to remember what the catalyst for the prayer was. The king had issued a decree to kill the wisest of the wise. In this moment, think about this. In this moment, has the king's decree been taken away? No. But he praises God because God spoke into his life. Has he been assured that the king would would take away the the consequences? No. But he has heard from the king. And so he gives praise to God. And so with that confidence, he goes in and he tells the king, I know the answer. And that's how the story plays out. But do you remember what the king said early in the passage? That whoever is able to do that, I'm going to come in and I'm going to give you great rewards and I'm going to give you great honor. And what does Daniel say? Daniel goes on to say, I didn't do this. It's impossible for me to do this. There is only one God who is able to do this. My question for you, in thinking about how we respond, do you praise God? Do you praise God this morning? Did you wake up and praise God for the gift of today? Did you praise God for the gift of being able to gather together in a community of faith? Do you praise God for the things that he gives or doesn't give simply for his presence? I will share with you this past week when I was at the hospital with Sharon, there was a group of people there that encouraged us to have a prayer together. We had been praying every day, but they wanted to have another prayer, and so we We gathered hands and we began to pray. One by one, we prayed. At the end of the prayer, it was an extremely powerful prayer, but at the end of the prayer, Pam Renner came up to me and said that the presence of the Holy Spirit was palpable to her. That's a fancy word for present, but it was tangible. You could feel the power of God. And what I told her was, that's what we praise God for. That we don't have a certain result of anything for any of us. But what we praise God for is that God is present. And what I'm confident is, is that Sharon felt that presence, that power in that moment. 
do you give God the praise simply for his presence in your life? But the presence in your, in your day. That's one of the things that we see in Daniel is that presence changes everything. It changes everything. It changes your perspective on everything that you face. Do you give God the praise and the glory for his presence? I invite you this morning. As we sing together our last hymn, I invite you this morning to give God the praise and the glory for his presence in your life, for drawing you closer to him. May you experience him. It may change everything for you. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who is not distant or absent. You are a God who walks with us each and every day. And I pray, Lord, that, that every single person in this room has experienced you being present in their life. And I pray, Lord, that it changes us forever for the better. I pray, Lord, that every situation that we face when the door gets knocked on, whether that's today or a year from now, or the phone call comes, I pray, Lord, that we can look and recognize and remember your presence and your power, that we can rely upon you for strength, that we can rely upon you for the power in our lives, regardless of whatever the outcome may be, we understand that we can be still and know you are God. It is in the present and powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.